The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. We often talk on this show to entrepreneurs building businesses themselves from the beginning. But many of the listeners of this show and the people who care about business are working inside companies, which is where the idea of an entrepreneur comes in. A person who, within a company, creates a new business unit or innovation, running it like a company themselves. So today we're talking to someone who's charted this path. Clem Devine is a designer who's worked across some of New Zealand's best agencies like Old Group and Richard's Partners and now has built from the ground up the brand practice at Jazzmax, one of New Zealand's largest and most awarded architecture firms. There, Clem works with architects and clients on wayfinding, brand experience and adding character to spaces. Clem lives with sensory disabilities and has had to manage situations and a status quo so often built without accessibility needs in mind. Although it's something Clem hasn't talked about much up to now, the importance of making room for everyone's superpowers and experience has made him an advocate for inclusivity in the workplace and our shared spaces. To talk the journey, design and what's next, Clem Devine joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Kia ora, Simon. Hey, so tell me about your start in design. What led you to, to that world? So my uncle was a well-known designer. His name's Les, Les Mason, and he um, was a raconteur, a provocateur, a great designer and artist, and he had his own practice in Melbourne. And um, so he's my dad's sister's um, husband, He's passed away now, and I used to go on trips from Invercargill because that's a very small town at the bottom of the world. And I used to go to Perth, and I used to go and hang out with them. And I got introduced to art, painting, design. I'd stay there in the school holidays, and he was always really, um, you know, quite generous and quite happy to share his thoughts on life. And Gail was an artist as well, well she still is an artist. And just over the years, I became more inspired by, by Les, you know, colour and drama. And, um, and, and so when I got to you know, sort of high school, Gail and, and Les actually came to Mkagal and they stayed. Um, they rented a house because Grandma was not well. And so they lived in Mkagal for about a year and a half. And during that time, I'd go over and we would sort of, you know, talk, have long conversations about design and about art and about books and about poetry. And then he encouraged me to go to um, to design school because I was painting by that stage, you know, and I had a, I was sort of a, you know, had a Jackson Pollock moment and a Rauschenberg moment and all that sort of thing. And then um, when I was 
at the university, he would come over from Perth, he'd move back to Perth by that stage. And I'd learn more from him staying for a week and we'd drink vodka and smoke cigarettes and go out to restaurants and talk about design and I'd show him what I'd been doing. And so he was a real, he was the inspiration. He was the, the reason why I decided I wanted to be a designer. And what attracted you into the world of design? Is it such a cool thing? Like, um, it's communication. It's like, I've got an idea that it's like the new art. Like in the olden, olden, olden days, art was something everyone understood, even if they weren't literate. And now design is the thing that everyone understands, you know, when it's when it's working at its top. Like, what? But it's also kind of, you know... Um, prestigious and interesting and at the front of culture and yeah what 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 in that world kind of grabbed you in the first instance well i think what, what les had always spoken about was that you could have a commercial creative practice and you know he said being an artist is quite hard work and you might not make that much money um but being a designer or being a creative person is you know as fulfilling um the difference between art and design obviously is the an artist will have a particular thing that they grind away at, a wound, as Peter McCleavy might say, for a long time. Whereas with design, you can have lots of different um, engagements and, and assignments and problems to solve, and it can still be really conceptual and have that craft-based element to it. And, I mean, I've got ADD, so, I mean, I'm always interested in lots of different things all of the time, mm-hmm. and so that's probably why it appealed. Um, but at Massey University, you know, that. At the time that I was there, the pedagogy was based on the Bauhaus, you know, and that's art and design, culture, how that interacts with each other, um, and, it, you know, about making things, you know, having an idea and then trying to develop that into something that kind of creates a reaction. Mm. And it's a real kind of problem solving, right? Like design as a discipline is like we've got this thing we need to communicate or a feeling we need to uh, create or a connection to forge and these are the resources we have this is the time we have these are the media that we're going to be playing with and then you've got to come up with the thing that like answers all that but also answers like the people's um, taste and personalities that you're dealing with like it's a real Rubik's Cube right? It is it's a puzzle and I think what the the design that I sort of was trained to do was always constraints are really important, right? Do you know what I mean? So um, often the best projects are the ones that have like clear constraints, whether that's from um, just the the condition of the project or the assignment or you know what the problem is that you have to solve. I mean, if you have unlimited constraints, well then you should could be an artist because an artist, you know, they have. They don't have constraints. They can do what they like, and so. But it's the, it's the, it's the, what excites me is when you don't have anything for a start, but you have like just the kernel or a fragment of an idea, or you have a request or a problem to solve, and then you have to be like super empathetic to try and find how you might connect different concepts together to make an idea that will then make someone feel something. You know, whether mm. that's to buy a product or to find their way in a building um, or to want to engage with you to work on something, you know, and I think that's what design, this is organisation of ideas, right? Yeah, and another link between kind of design and traditional art anyway is the idea of like workshops and almost, you know, apprenticeships and, um, you know, passing on knowledge from masters kind of thing. 
And that's what you've got in design in a big way, right? Like mm. you get these great outfits that are led by people who have, you know, very strong personal style or kind of ideas. Mm. And you've worked at some fantastic design studios that very much fit that kind of um, mm. master workshop model, mm. eh? Yeah, that's right. Well, the studio, right? That's a key idea and a concept in itself where it's a place where people can come and, you know, feel challenged, feel excited, be inspired, you know, and there's people there that will kind of um, look after the, the the spirit of that place. So the studio is really important. We actually, I actually did a magazine a few years ago with my friend Sam and Zoe called Studio Magazine, funnily enough, where cause we got quite interested in doing a personal project when Zoe and I were working at Old Group at the time. And we thought it would be a great idea to sort of make a creative passport where we could invite studios from around the world to send us images and tell us the story about how their studio works and how it's set up. And it was like it was a phenomenal response. We did like, I think, five issues. Um, but then Sam and Zoe had a baby, so then that project sort of petered out. But this the, the studio is really important, I think, and I think it's still the same, especially for creative businesses. Um, office culture, studio culture, sort of slightly different, perhaps, but... Um, you know, I think that's why work from home was such a challenge, you know, for a lot of creative people, because it is quite hard to be um, connected but not, you know, in a physical space. Yeah, and tell us about some of the studios that you worked through um, as you kind of came up through your career. And, you know, names like Alt Group and uh, Richard's Partners are very well known inside the design community. And their work is very well known outside. Mm. Mm. But yeah, t tell us about those studios and kind of what was special about them. Mm. Well, there was one studio before that, and that mm. was iWork Design in Wellington, which was um, founded by a guy called Neil Partington. Mm. And he was really good at picking people. Um, so I work was around sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Simon Andres worked there from Red Antler. Um, Tana Mitchell, George Clark, other designers which have gone on to, you know, do other things. And um, so we did a lot of culture work, um, you know, did a lot of work for hospitality businesses. It was sort of right in that sort of um, Wellington scene at the time. But then... Um, things change, and then I had a friend of mine who was working at Alt Group in 2005, and um, at that time I had heard from a couple of other people, an artist as well, that this was a this was a hot shop, you know, and so I had this quite simple recruitment process um, with Alt Group, rang them up on a Friday after my friend Sam that said that um, Clem's looking for a job, so I had a chat with. Um, uh, ben and Dean from Alt Group, and they said, "I'll oh, come up for a for lunch." So I came up from Wellington, um, had lunch, had a couple of beers, and then I had a contract the next week. Right, so it was really <laughs> simple stuff, but it was quite a life changing moment. Right, moving from Wellington, I was looking for a role at the time, and you know I spent eight years there, and then moved to Auckland, two thousand five, and. At that time, Alt Group were really doing things that weren't done mm -hmm. in the sort of brand, you know, strategy and identity space. They were a studio in all sense of the word. I mean, it's Alt Group, but it's just changing it from, you know, art to alt to, you know, design. And they could Ben and Dana sort of, they are artists, and they went to Elam and Ben was a painting teacher at the Royal College of Arts. Dean's a sculptor. 
And so they use art thinking to unpack problems. And because artists are really good at this, you know, they're really good at the conceptual side of trying to wrestle with a kind of a slippery problem. And so they had a studio in Black Street, um, two apartments with a wall knocked down between them. It was all about lunch, it was about food, it was about working hard and then working late, which was great at the time, you know, I didn't have any children. And we just did some phenomenal work together because there was a great studio environment, there was a great group of designers working together. And so I spent eight, eight years with them, worked on the Auckland Art Gallery with Dean, um, worked on Studio One, which is the um, the old police station, which is the community art centre with the drips on it, so we turned the building into a logo. And, yeah, I had a, I had a really interesting time. I learned a lot of things about how to make great work, learned some other things about how I'd want my team to operate and to run, you know, because I always think when you're working with others, you're taking the best from what they do, making your own decisions about, based on your own value sets, mm. what you would do a bit differently. Um, and so I took that to uh, Richard's partners and I worked with Brian Richards, who's a fairly well-known um, uh, raconteur, again, another raconteur, um, a character, a visionary. Um, and he has been involved in a lot of early startup businesses. I think he's a little bit, he was a bit far ahead of the times, perhaps, you know, um, but he always took a really professional sort of approach to how he would like to create value for those early businesses, you know. So he worked with Jeremy Moon, um, helped him sort of create the first narrative and strategy for Icebreaker. And he's got a great story about that, how Jeremy, you know, didn't really have that much money at all, but paid Brian a lot of it of <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to create the foundation of what Icebreaker would become. And Brian always ruefully remembers that maybe he should have um, foregone some of those fees for a stake in the business, you know. But at the time, you're just trying to solve a problem. It's, it's really hard, as I think, as a creative person, as a business owner, as a consultant, to be able to take that longer-term view. Um, but, yeah, no, so I worked with Brian for um, for a few years, built a good team, um, and there were lots of interesting opportunities um, that I was able to sort of experience. And I got to lived my dream of being a creative director. He gave me that opportunity to um, to set a vision for the type of work that we'd like to do. And that was a challenge for him, at, you know, from time to time. But I think he could see the value that was being created. Um, and it's always quite hard to marry strategy, you know, like kind of really kind of logical thinking with um, what it might look like. And I think that's always the tension point in a lot of design studios, a lot of brand strategy studios. And the ones that get it right, they, you know, they, they're phenomenally successful. And the ones that don't, it can be quite a hard place to be. Um, and I think, yeah, that's kind of an evolving situation. I mean, there's lots of different types of studios now. You know, back when I was starting, you know, you were it was a design consultancy, you know, it was very serious, you know, and you would do logos, right? 
And then once you got the logo done, it was like, have a breather, and then you do the annual report. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like what, what do all these words, because, like, when you're, when you're in or adjacent to the design community, right, like, things, things, um, like, creative director and logo and word mark and even the difference between, like, you know, font and type or whatever, yeah. become very well known. But outside, it's all kind of one soup, hey? <laughs> like, That's right. Like, yeah. What, yeah, what does, what does it, how does a design studio work? So you talk about a couple of people there who are leaders who are real characters and you know alt are so well known for really being pioneers in the value of very um you know very high quality design yeah. for big companies as yeah. like a way to increase their value like yeah. fisher and Paykel, for example yeah you know so uh, so part of that narrative of that company becoming a, a luxury brand essentially right, That's right. and yeah. then you know richards and richards partners where you know the strategy was such a key driver of of that shop um over many years hey and, and mm. proving the value of strategy to business as well That's right. yeah. um, and, and and so what what does a creative director or a design director do in these spaces? Well, I mean, it can be dependent on how big the studio is, right? But generally, you need a creative leader. So if you start with the creative director, they're always going to be that, you know, they should be the creative director and have the mana to be able to lead the team. And often that person actually shouldn't be the best designer, the best typographer, the best copywriter, or the best at anything, but they're just really good at putting it all together, you know. And it's only when once you've had enough experience and actually understand the mechanics of all those different disciplines working together that you're able to do that. And you give people agency, right? So you give people who who you, you've hired great staff already, right? So you need to let them do what they need to do so that they can learn how to express their own um creativity and channel it into something which will make a profit because at the end of the day where the studio exists um to be profitable um because if you don't make profit then you don't have a business and you don't have any freedom you don't have any you know um you can't, options. Do, can't do interesting things you can't have nice lunches you can't deliver no, things no. that you care about that, yeah that's right and so the creative director should sit above the fray a little bit, but it's always able to keep a good watch on what's happening and inspire the team, get them to work together and encourage ideas that um, that maybe people have already done, but they're not sure about the value of them. So you're kind of like an editor as well, you know, and often people will come up with things that you never thought of, right? And then it might not even be something that you personally like, but it, if they can give a rationale for why it is the way it should be, then you should say, well, that sounds great. Let's do it. Let's see where we end up together, right? And so you end up being a navigator and like a cheerleader and a coach and um, a support person, and you never do the work unless it's really bad and you have to get it done before the end of the month because you need to get your bill out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes you will pick parts of a project that you should do just so that people can see that you can still do it, mm -hmm. you know, because people need to believe that you actually are quite good at it, you know, and so you need the confidence to be able to lead the team and give them confidence too, mm -hmm. you know. So it's sort of like a, it's a multifaceted role. And, yeah, often the best ones, I think, are the ones that are able to just use the raw material, the people they have in the studio, get their best out of them, know what project to put them on. And then a design director normally sits under a creative director and they're actually more just the 
you know, actually doing it, leading it, making sure it's done on time, making sure that um, the project follows the plan, all that sort of thing, mm. you know, so. But it's different horses for courses for different studios depending on the size. And it's such an interesting world as well, like, because as you say, there's like, um, you know, ideas that are so fragile and need nurturing and they're not normally fully formed and then you have to be able to see where they can go. And also there's people's personal, um, you know, because you're in that boundary of art, there's people's personal kind of feelings and, and, and egos and stuff caught up in what they produce. It, they're, they're such funny worlds. And then you navigated those as well with a um, sensory disability. And and t- tell me about that path and, and how that fits into um, a space of kind of, you know, communication and big characters. Well, um, so I've got a, a condition called brittle cornea syndrome. And for a long time, we thought it was osteogenesis imperfecta, which is like brittle bones, right? So when I was a young fella, I used to do mountain biking and all that sort of thing until the doctor said, maybe that's not a good idea. Um, and it's, and I, so I had a couple of injuries when I was younger, so I only have one, I can only see out of one eye, right? So being a graphic designer, that's great because the world is flat, you know? Um, so I've got that, and then um, I've had a um, progressive hearing loss over the years since I was young, which has got, got worse and I got into my 20s, and so now I have two cochlear implants, which is, like, off the hook, incredible, amazing. Like, I would be sign language, I would be using sign language by now. But what that does is it does two things. The first thing is if you have great parents that push you hard and make you believe that just because you've got a different ability that everyone else doesn't mean that you're not as good as them. I remember going to the... um, uh, I went to the para-fed games in, in Australia because I was a competitive swimmer because that was probably the only sport I could do with my disabilities. It was actually quite good for me. And so I went to these games in Sydney because I'd been competing with able-bodied or people that didn't have the same different abilities. They had better abilities than I have. And um, went there and then I found out I wasn't different enough Right, so that was a big disappointment because I'd been operating in this gap between people that had, you know, naturally gifted ability, but also the discipline to keep working at it. Right, that's always the two things that you need. And so, mum was always mum and dad. They were both great supporters through the education system and through um, sports. Or I always got the support that I needed to be able to get a bit closer to maybe where those people, just you know, people in the middle of the bell curve were. But you end up with this real drive. Just because someone says you can't do it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try or you just have this kind of just desire to prove everybody wrong. And I think a lot of people that are successful have that, right? They're just like, well, why, why is it this way? Why can't I do that? Why can't we do it? What, why sh- should we try? Should we have a go? And so you end up building a lot of strategies around how you can just just try and compete, like just get onto the somewhere closer to the playing field, right? But the playing field always tilted in different ways, but it does give you a bit of extra fire. I think having different abilities, having a disability, which isn't the norm, right? Because mum always said to me, no, I'm going to give you a break. 
right? No one's going to, just because you can't see or because you've got two cochlear implants, they don't care, right? You have to make it happen. And I think that that passion probably quite helpful in design and creativity because you don't know what you're doing at the beginning of the project anyway. As Dean Paul said, it's just design and creativity is not knowing but finding out and having the confidence that you will at some point achieve what it is that you're looking for, you know. And like so much of good communication is empathy and understanding and being able to think about what another person brings to a thing. And like the world, you know, up until very recently, has been built with, you know, such low inclusivity for anyone who doesn't fit the most standard of all moulds, right? And, you know, subway systems without any access and all of these things were just the norm, right? So what kind of superpowers does it give you to to have that extra level of understanding and empathy? Well, I think empathy is the key one, right? Because you can look at people and not see them for just who they are. You know, you can you become very sensitive to others and what they might be going through and you, you look at them in a slightly different way. So for example, when it comes to um, hiring staff, so that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed through the responsibilities that I've been given in different organisations to be able to do that. Is I like looking for those that don't fit the traditional model of what they should be doing. But I can see they've got the hard skills and they've got the application or they've got the drive to want to do it. And those are the people that always do really interesting things, I, I feel, you know. And they just don't conform. They're like the misfits. But then they're still very sensitive and empathetic as well. They're good people, people. And so I like to surround myself with those types of people. You know, I, I really don't get along with um, people that don't fit that particular way of looking at the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So then we'll be back in a moment with Clem Devine to talk about building the brand practice at Jazzmax and what's next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hokimaya no, and welcome back where we're with Clem Devine. So tell me about the path at Jazzmax, which is another place that, you know, 
everyone will know the work and people in the industry know the, the, the company. But tell us about what Jazzmax is and does and where brand design lives in that world. So Jazzmax is one of the longest established architecture practices uh, in Aotearoa. We're also in Australia now. We've got a small Sydney um, presence. And so Jazzmax has been around in a few different forms. It used to be called Jazzmad um, back in the day when they used the, um, you know, the, the the last letter of the principal's names, and then it changed to Jazzmax. When the um, three practices came together because they won to Papa, right? And then it became Jazzmax, so they had 10 principles. So they, took, they dropped the D and the X, right? And so over the years, Jazzmax has had... Uh, like this really entrepreneurial streak behind it in the sense that in the um, in the early days they developed their own buildings to make some extra money. Um, they had an exhibition design team. They worked on developing trade manuals and specifications and that was a business that got spun off. So they've always had this, the DNA of the company is, is, is architecture, um, but we have other disciplines, uh, interior design, um, landscape architecture, um, urban planning, master planning, and then brand design. We've got carbon consultancy. So it's always a, it's a ever-changing kind of collection of, um, uh, you know, uh, commercially orientated but also culturally quite aware um, people trying to make things which will last for a long time and are reflective of their place. And um, you know, in the landscape, and how that impacts on um, you know on the wider community, yeah. And in that world, what's the role of like a brand practice in there? Well, it's a bit new in New Zealand. The inspiration for brand design came from a lecture I went to by a guy called Kettle Larson from Snowheader, which is a, a practice that is originally from Oslo. And when they started, they had a true multidisciplinary team. So they had an architect, a landscape designer, a graphic designer, and I think there might have been an interior designer. I'm not, don't quote me on it, but they had these five founding partners who were of had different disciplines. And what they realised is when you put those together, you can create something actually very powerful because each one of those disciplines has a different pedagogy and a background and a way of working, which if you get the conditions right, it can be really complimentary. So I was inspired by that lecture because they always have very strong ideas behind their buildings and I saw that the wayfinding and the signage was always really good and then I I investigated them further and I saw that they had this graphic design or brand design practice. Because you can, what obviously their their model is too, the same at Jazzmax, is you can pick up work through the larger portfolio, um, which is flowing through the studio at any one time. And so a couple of the key projects that I really enjoyed, one at Alt Group and one, um, well, a couple at Alt Group really, with, with the sort of wayfinding um, projects, one for the Auckland Art Gallery and for Studio One, I really enjoyed those. I liked creating things which then went into a spatial environment. And there was another, um, this, uh, Paula Shear, she's a really well-known designer based at Pentagram, and she transitioned into what's called environmental graphics, right, um, within that sort of design world. But um, you still have to keep it quite discipline-specific. So, you know, um, 
uh, you've got to make sure that it relates to the organisation that you're working. So wayfinding signage, and every building needs wayfinding, right? And that has been, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to really build up at within the brand design team and within Jazzmax, the understanding of great wayfinding, thinking of things differently at the beginning of projects, thinking about, you know, where the reception should be, you know, um, thinking about people with different um, accessibility needs, where, where, where should they go, um, you know. Uh, so it, it just brings a whole new lens to the projects that, we get to be invited to be part of. And what are some of the projects that you've been able to work on? As I mean, I, I see some of the great work where my kids are at school at Western Springs and a lot of people would have been through AUT. Yeah. Yeah, well, so um, uh, Western Springs College, we, we did the wayfinding program for, um, for that campus and that was one of the first projects when I was trying to get this thing stood up, right, and didn't really know quite what I was doing. I've got a senior wayfinding designer now, he kind of helps a lot. But that was sort of thinking about how we could make um, the wayfinding and the signage elements look like they were part of the um, part of the design of the building. Often these things come right at the end, you know, we're getting better now that things come right at the beginning, where you think about what um, where things should go. And then AUT, that was an opportunity that came through because we were doing this for the Te Ahuru, where we were asked to, you know, have a look at some super graphics or environmental graphics, which is a traditional thing for, you know, graphic designer to do. And then we just began that process of visualising what the future of play might look like because rec centres are all different these days, you know. Um, there's lots of different things that people want to do. As kids, they just want to hang out and play video games, you know. But... Um, and so that was successful. We were we were given you know license to work on it, and we brought the um, the stakeholder group along the journey and created something which I think is quite beautiful and integrated, and will be there for a long time. You know, yeah, and and kind of joyous and colourful and contemporary and energy yeah. and yeah, re really big kind of colourful um, feel. If anyone hasn't yeah. seen that work, yeah, there, and so. You know, we talk a lot on the show to people who are, you know, on, entrepreneurs building businesses uh, on their own. But this concept of like an entrepreneur, someone that within a business builds their own team, it's all the same stuff, right? You've got to like um, hire a team, build out, you know, find your customer, um, run your P&L, operate within the kind of um, in, in environment around yeah. there. How have you found that journey to, and, and every design studio is, is, is run in a sense of that as well, but how have you found that journey within a larger organisation? Well, I don't think it's been that much different really because I still had to, um, I still had to pitch it. They've had, they had to, Jasmine had to invest in me and my idea and believe in what I was wanting to do. So it took about 18 months of planning, um, you know, business plans, um, projections, you know, forecasting, um, you know, really trying to understand the mechanics of how this practice was going to make some money um, because it's pretty hard to run a practice that doesn't make money. So there is a responsibility with that. And so it just started off with me, myself and I. And the um, I was close to the printer because they thought I was a graphic designer. You know, this five years ago. I mean, I don't, can't even remember the last time I printed something out. That's how the world changed. But um, I just followed the plan. You know, and I just followed the graphs that I put together. And I was very honest when I started. I said that 
it would be a real challenge for me to win work. You know, I'd not really done that before. I'd always had, you know, Brian Richards, one of the great salespeople, um, well connected. I was, I knew that I was going to have to do this myself, and that was something which uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence in at the time. But they said, "Well, you'll learn." Mm-hmm. Um, and often that's you need to get chucked in the deep end to um, to learn how to do that. And 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 one of the first projects I worked on, or part of the team was the Expo 2020, and that was the one that really kind of got enough confidence going within the business. I could hire my first designer, and we worked on the, um, we created a typeface, um, we worked on the wayfinding, we would help sort of form some of the early conceptual ideas. Um, and so that was what, what really got us, but we were just doing it, doing anything, you know, that, that had a, a fee attached to it at the time. That's what you have to do when you're starting, right? And then you, and you build your, uh, reputation through that. Yeah. And what's the impact that you're wanting to make with your work and what you're doing within this? Like, is this kind of a a, a, a new norm where we see kind of more of the, the brand design, the graphic design and that, that thinking in these projects? So the, there's probably two things. The first one is uh, I've always thought that making things that last a long time is a good idea, you know, in this age of sustainability. If you create something really beautiful and well-considered, it should be there for a while. And often with the large-scale public projects that we work on, they will be. So you may as well make it for all of those people that are going to see it or interact with it, make it really great, you know. And then I guess the second thing is... Um, using our skill set as visual communicators um, and storytellers, I think, is, is something that we're continually working on at Jazzmax. So, using the natural innate skill sets of graphic designers or brand designers to help influence um, the conceptual underpinning of an idea for a for a space, um, for a place, or you know, a, a building might be one of those um, things that comes out of it. Because when you come from that background, that's that is your core kind of superpower. It's making those kind of connections, thinking sort of in in words and phrases and feelings to sort of create messages and ideas that are easily understandable for a group of people that are building which is often quite complex. And then also we do a lot of work obviously in the in the in the Manafinua space and in the in the in Māori, looking at the world from a from a Māori perspective. And that's all storytelling, right? And that's all very conceptual. And so it's sort of, I feel we can add a lot of value in how we speak about our projects, how we speak about the way we like to do things, you know. And so, I mean, we worked on, obviously, we thought, well, we need to do a rebrand. You know, that was the first thing I pitched in when I started. So I thought, well, maybe that might be a good idea. And that was a really interesting kind of exploration of going deep into a business, doing it from within. And it was, wow, it was it was hard work. But it was amazing at the end, right? And I think everyone was able to kind of coalesce around this, you know, um, the way that we presented ourselves was more reflected of where we wanted to be. And speaking about those superpowers and being able to, you know, learn things from other places like Te Ao Māori. How do you think businesses can create more space and be more inclusive for more people who do have the superpowers that come from 
living with disability or ex- mm. lived experience or or, mm. or, or, or those those um, things in life? Well, I think it's about being, we've talked about this before, but being empathetic, seeing the world through other people's eyes and not making assumptions. I think we do that a lot anyway within our practice that you kind of have to make some assumptions, but they should always be left pretty open. And I think being dogmatic about... Um, the way that things should be isn't the well you're never going to go further than what the dogma says and so um because obviously there's a lot of work being done at the moment around um uh, the sort of lgbtqia plus community and i'm on the i'm a co-chair of the diversity and inclusion committee because jasmine takes this stuff really seriously trying to work towards kind of reprogramming the way that we look at some of those long-held dogmatic ways of looking at the world and the way things should be. And it's actually really, it can be quite challenging. Mm. Um, but it's just being open and unpicking um, and asking why is it the way it is? Like, where's something coming from? Like, how could that be better? And it never being an afterthought, because I think that's something that for inclusivity and accessibility, it's so often you know, thought of too late. And, you know, you always hear that when people try to partner with um, people on, uh, you, you know, projects with a Te Māori perspective, yeah. it's always too late, you know? Like, yeah. it's got to be from... And like you're saying with design, wayfinding and thinking about the experience needs to come in earlier. It's a really common theme, hey? Yeah. And, but, there, and, but there's a whole lot of tensions, though, right? Because it's process is really difficult and there's commercial realities that are involved as well. So there is lots of nuance and complexity, but designers are really good at it. Like yeah. they love the ambiguity. If you don't like the ambiguity, I mean, creativity and design is not another space, not a space for you. You know, so being comfortable, being uncomfortable is is quite helpful, and also being quite reflective. I think designers or creative people they should be quite reflective. So I've had lots of confrontational experiences, um, either within the studio or. I've been in some confrontational um, spaces where I haven't understood enough, especially in that TL Māori space, haven't understood enough and um, I shouldn't have been there. <laughs> so, but then you get more cautious, but then you sort of understand who you can work with or who, uh, and, you know, you make your own way through that. But it's always been very respectful. And I think that's the other thing with people that have different abilities, just be very respectful. They might be an absolute savant or something. They might be, or who they are is just amazing anyway. And so it's never, um, you know, assuming or, or, or judging, you know, sort of, you can pass judgment on that later, depending on how they treat you in response, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. And as a final thought, what, I mean, you've been involved in some, you know, phenomenal projects and, and, and built this new concept into this business. Like, looks really successful from the outside, right? But, like, what will success be for you? What, what's what's the, um, yeah, what's the thing you're working towards? I think that just making sustaining it, right, because it's, it's a practice and creating space for others that work with me to assume responsibility and to manage their projects and to be successful and have agency in their own right. My designer, Aaron, who's been with Brand Design with the project since the beginning, like he built his own house last year, which is like phenomenal. Um, he's 30 and he built a house in Otahu 
and he used friends and family favours. I think one of his friends is an architect, but obviously he got a lot of ideas from the Friday night drinks table at Jazz Max, and he's done that himself. And I think that's that isn't that amazing that the project created space for him to feel confident enough to build his own house. You know, um, he's from he's from South Auckland, and I just think how cool is that? You know, and then obviously all well, the project work's really important. You know, but at the end of the day. The people that care about you are normally the people that you work closely with. Yeah, love it. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing the story so far and can't wait to see where you take it next. That's Clem Devine, Associate Principal at Jazzmax. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks, Simon. So thank you to Clem, to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to rate and leave us a review if you like what we do. In order. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.